Good morning. Uh, as Jim and Rachel said, I'm Morag. I am speaking to you this morning, my first time on the Zoom. Um, speaking to you, I've I've done the kind of recording on YouTube, I've done the live streaming on YouTube, but this is the first Zoom. So let's just pray that the technology and the broadband does actually hold out. Um, I'm speaking to you today from my sister's study, in case you don't recognise the background. And I've closed the door behind me uh, to avoid the doggy distractions, which are a real possibility because I've got three spaniels in the house. Um, this morning, we're on our penultimate talk in the Gospel of John, um, with uh, it finishing off uh, the series in John next week. But for today, our passage is from John chapter 21 and it's verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out in it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, there is a style of contemplation or prayer where you imagine yourself in the story, either as one of the characters or as a bystander observing. I can easily imagine myself in this story. The light warmth of the morning sun on your skin, the sound of the water lapping at the shore, muffled voices of fishermen as they call to each other on their boats. Then you hear the crackle of a fire and the unmistakable smell of wood smoke wafting towards you. There's a man standing at the water's edge calling out to a group of fishermen about a hundred yards offshore. You can't quite make out the conversation but you get the gist that they've been out all night and haven't caught anything. <laughs> 
The man on the shore suggests they put the nets down on the other side of the boat. You're thinking, really? After not catching anything all night? Wonder who this guy thinks he is. But the fishermen do as he asks. And there's a sudden flurry of activity and raised voices. One of the fishermen jumps off the boat into the water and swims rapidly to shore. The rest of the men start hauling the net and the boat to shore like it suddenly got a heavy load. You watch as the fishermen pull up a large catch of fish, greet the guy on the shore and gather round that charcoal fire and eat breakfast together like long lost companions. I almost want to leave it there. Just leave the passage as it is, the narrative describing that breakfast on the beach. But as John has said earlier in, in chapter 20, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So why has he chosen to include this episode? What could he want us to know about Jesus through telling this story? There are a few commentaries which suggest that the disciples have given up hope. That after all that's happened, they are so disheartened that they just return to their homes and back to their old way of life. They abandon all that they have known and learnt from Jesus. I think this is a harsh judgment for a couple of reasons. The first being that although John doesn't record it, both Matthew and Mark say that the angel at the tomb tells the women that Jesus is going ahead of the disciples to Galilee and will meet them there. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And second, that just as Jeremy spoke about regarding Thomas last week, there is no hint of a rebuke from Jesus. He doesn't give them a telling off for not being in Jerusalem, nor for being out fishing. He meets them right where they are. I think that this whole chapter in John is a beautiful re-envisioning and restoring of the disciples. I think I also need to put in a bit of a disclaimer this morning that this is a very personal interpretation of the passage because it's a situation that I can really relate to. But I think it's a, a valid interpretation which I hope will resonate with at least some of you as well. The disciples have experienced very traumatic events. Their friend has been tortured and killed. They have spent the following days hiding in fear of the authorities. And then they have seen the risen Jesus, which was incredible. But I'm sure that right now they don't know which way is up. They are disorientated and confused. They want to believe, but just genuinely don't know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? <laughs> Pete Gregg, uh, who's one of the leaders of 24-7 Prayer, spoke at the National Gathering, the Vineyard National Gathering in January. And he told this story of when he and some friends were climbing in the Coolins in Skye. It was a difficult climb, and before they could make their way down, the weather closed in, as it can do in Scotland. They found themselves with very little visibility, and in the days before GPS, and because the Coolins are magnetic rock, their compass was useless. All they could do was follow the path that was right in front of them. 
They were desperate to get down below the clouds to regain some vision. They got to a point where there was a break in the path and they would have to jump down about eight feet to find the path again. They would be able to get down, but if they were wrong, they wouldn't be able to get back up. And if any of them stumbled or misjudged the jump, it could be catastrophic. Pete felt the prompt to pray and then got the very clear sense that they were to retrace their steps back the way they came. It was completely counterintuitive when all they wanted to do was get down and out of the cloud. But they climbed back up, retraced their steps and found another path which led them safely off the mountain. Pete also uh, told this story at the 24-7 gathering last year. And although this wasn't his main point, when he was summing up his talk and, and he was praying for people, he said this, sometimes life can leave you disorientated and confused. You can't find your bearings and your vision has gone. Retrace your steps. Go back to the place where you can see clearly when you heard God clearly, to the place you knew certainty and seek God in the midst of your confusion and disorientation. As he was praying, Pete felt that some people needed to retrace their steps and rediscover their own origin story. I think that this is what the disciples are doing. They go back to what they know and also back to the place where they first met Jesus. I think this is excellent advice. If you don't know what to do, keep doing what you know. Toby often puts it like this, old orders are good orders. It's difficult when you're desperate to hear God speak into your situation, but you almost have to keep putting yourself in positions to give him opportunities to speak. Keep turning up at church to home group, keep reading the Bible, keep worshipping, keep setting aside to time to be with him, Keep loving, loving your neighbour and looking after the poor. It's amazing how much we really do know what God wants us to do. And this is the extraordinary kindness of God. Jesus meets them again on the shores of Lake Galilee. In Luke uh, chapter 5 verses 1 to 8, we read a remarkably similar story. But this time, the miraculous catch of fish comes at the beginning of the disciples' ministry, when Jesus invites them to follow him and become fishers of people. I wonder if this time is Jesus's not-so-subtle but gentle reminder to the disciples of that calling. The disciples don't initially recognise Jesus on the shore, and he reveals himself by evoking memories of past activities. The disciple whom Jesus loved catches on first and recognises that the stranger on the shore is the Lord. In their confusion and frustration, the disciples return to where they heard their first calling and in his kindness, Jesus restores them that calling, 
not by rebuking them with words, but by kind, miraculous and meaningful actions. Many of the commentaries look for John's multi-layered meanings in the significance of the details in this story. For example, the 153 fish, which does seem a very precise number to quote. And if you're interested, then I, I encourage you to go deeper, deeper on your own, because I'm just not going to get into it this morning. Jesus invites the disciples to bring some of their catch and to join him for breakfast. He already has bread and fish cooking on the fire from as mysterious a source as where he has appeared from. None of the disciples want to ask him who he is. In reality, they know who he is. And Jesus simply invites them to enjoy his presence once again. I absolutely love that Jesus meets them again in their everyday ordinary, in their working lives and around breakfast. Eating and drinking with them was Jesus' way of demonstrating that he was alive in this new and remarkable resurrected body, but genuinely eating and drinking alive. And I think that the time in his presence would revive in them their trust in him and all that he had taught them. It will take the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to really turn things around for them. But I think this episode would make the waiting easier. I've given you the disclaimer that this is a, a very personal interpretation and I see a lot of parallels in my life. So I think God has been uh, very kind and encouraging to me through preparing this talk. Um, so for those of you who don't know my story, here's a quick potted history. Nearly seven years ago, which I can't quite believe it's that long ago, but it was 2014, I took a sabbatical from my job and went as a voluntary intern to Cosby Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland. And it was an incredible year. I was being stretched, learning so much and working hard for the women's ministry team. It was a time when I felt I heard God very clearly and I spent a lot of time learning to listen to his voice. And I was pretty sure that I heard God's call not to return to my old job. So I handed in my notice and I offered my services to Toby and Carol if there was anything I could do for Kingdom Vineyard. And that's how I ended up running Storehouse for a couple of years. But again, I was sure that when I handed that on, that that was the right thing to do. Throughout this whole time, and even before going to Causeway, I had been exploring a call to church plant. A calling I still feel, but... God has never given me the kind of green light go on that. He's never said when or where. So I found myself working in a job, which I was finding frustrating and boring. And an opportunity came up to return to my old job, back to my equivalent of the fishing nets. And that's where you find me today. I wasn't sure what to do next, so I went back to what I knew. 
I think it's where I'm meant to be right now, but I have to say it's a confusing situation to be in. I felt called in. I felt called out. I felt called back in again. It's also known as the hokey-cokey calling. But I am so encouraged by today's passage. The disciples were back in their old job and finding it pretty frustrating, not being effective at all. When Jesus comes along with some divine insight, they take his advice and their work is transformed. I'm not sure why I'm back in my old job, but I know that Jesus' presence there with me can transform it, just as he filled those nets to bursting point. I also think that when we are confused and frustrated, Jesus simply invites us into his presence. The confusion doesn't necessarily go away, but he sits in it with us, just reminding us who he is and that he really is alive. I am still confused about my calling to church plant and why I find myself back in a job I thought I'd left behind. But Jesus invites me to breakfast. He invites me into his presence. He makes suggestions that, if I obey, transform my everyday ordinary into the extraordinary, the kingdom of God on earth. I retrace my steps, metaphorically and physically, to places where I know God has spoken to me. And I wait for him to meet me again. And because he is so kind, he meets me again and again with as many not so subtle and gentle reminders as it takes. Maybe God is calling some of you this morning to retrace your steps, to get back to a place where you could see and hear God clearly. Maybe for some of you who don't know what to do, God is simply asking you to do what you know. Maybe, actually not maybe, I think all of us need to hear Jesus' invitation to breakfast with the whole confusing situation of the world in general. And for many of us personally, there is no better place than in the presence of Jesus. The situation may not change in that moment, but the waiting will be far easier if we wait with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, the world is a strange and confusing place as we navigate pandemics and coming out of pandemics and uh, where our lives should be going where they haven't worked out just as we'd expected them to. Lord, would we know how to sit in your presence, to accept your invitation to breakfast, and to be reassured, to regain our trust in who you are before anything about what we need to do. Or we just place ourselves into your hands.
Lord, lead us to places where we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just share one more thing? Okay, I'm getting a nod for you. Um, when I've been wrestling um, with this hokey-cokey calling, as I've been <laughs> calling it, um, I got reminded of um, the passage in Jeremiah 18 about the potter and the clay in the hands of the potter. And I've become more convinced that calling um, may not be static. Um, it, it changes and it can look differently. And the process of God molding you into the next thing or the next, uh, yeah, kind of calling, if you like, is an awful lot easier if you stay soft and malleable. Um, because once the pot is fired, um, then the process of changing um, is, a, is a lot more drastic. Um, it takes being broken and being put back together again. So I just want to say as well that we are, if we stay soft in the hands of God, I think um, that is a really good kind of place to to deal with um changes and unexpected um or or things that are maybe just not working out the way that you thought but god is just molding you into a slightly different vessel for a slightly different purpose <laughs>